You're listening to the Tribe Tech Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tribe Tech Podcast with Tech Southwest. I'm Robert Hillier and my co-host is Fayaz Khan. Hello. Every month we bring you great guests for an in-depth look at the most interesting news and trends from the tech sector. This past week has seen a roadmap out of lockdown after nearly a year of social and economic disruption across the world. Right. And it coincides with the release of this year's Tech Southwest Survey, which takes the temperature of businesses across the region as they look ahead to the year. And the full survey results are available to view now on the Tech Southwest website. Yes, so some of the highlights. Optimism remains high. Access to talent, funding and global economic conditions are the biggest barriers to growth. 40% of respondents are not seeking investment in 2021. 37% are seeking investment and 20% are seeking grants. No one is looking for a loan. That's interesting because quite a few actually had loans last year in 2020, and I presume they didn't want it. It was just something that they had to do because of everything that was going on. Yeah, I mean, a quarter ended up with a loan, even though at the moment, of course, access to um, to finances uh, is pretty cheap. Um, and 63% of companies expect to up their recruitment this year. By far the most commonly cited block on recruitment, according to the survey, 40% of respondents said that people don't know the opportunities that exist in the sector. So second most common at 20% is a lack of homegrown talent. And I find this quite shocking, you know, the fact that there's a lack of homegrown talent. But I suppose we have places like Exeter College trying to correct this. And it's something as well that the sector seems to be trying to sort out Mm. itself as well and maybe not being so reliant on traditional education providers. Mm. Um, we wanted to know, of course, what lies behind the headlines. So we spoke first of all to Ben Shorrock. He's the MD at TechSpark in Bristol, and he also took part in the survey. COVID, particularly in the tech sector, has had sort of there's been two two journeys uh, very broadly. There's been some companies and organisations and people who've had relatively a very good time and some of those subsectors are things that were very strong in across the southwest so sectors like fintech or gaming or publishing or basically the things that you can still do at home uh, e-commerce um, have had a very good time and that's meant that they've continued to grow and they still have some of those challenges around talent there's lots of other um companies and sectors though within tech that have really struggled um so it's slightly odd that between those two things it's almost balanced itself out as a picture across it so really i think one of the things we need to think about is focusing down on some of the granularity of different sectors and areas and the different journeys they've had one of the other issues that i found um in in the tech survey is that once again talent or acquiring talent is um, seems to be a huge problem and I think it was 97% of, of uh, survey respondents said that actually acquiring talent is probably their hugest um, barrier currently and I mean that is something that's just consistent that, that practically every survey that we do that's what they say um, and I wonder if is that such is that still such a big issue um, or is it still going to be such a big issue in 2021 because you know, people don't have to be attracted to the Southwest anymore. They can be wherever they are and do what they need to do. So 
I think, if anything, it's probably going to be a bigger issue um, because, yeah, absolutely. Pre-COVID, there was a huge challenge about accessing the right type of talent at the right time. Um, as we've gone into COVID, lots of other organizations have seen how important digital and tech is. So they have now started to also recruit people. So for some people that's meant more business, but for a lot of bigger organizations, that's meant them recruiting the same types of people we are. Um, and so what ultimately has happened is demand globally has gone up um, and supply isn't able to go up. I think there's also, although you can recruit remotely, um, generally people still have a preference for recruiting locally if they can because it's as we come out of this as we go back to co-working spaces or offices or just meeting in the pub every so often it is better to be able to connect with people uh face to face and there is a productivity gap realistically in having a completely remote team um and that's something that it's still going to take us a long time to get our head around and work through. You know, we're only, what is it? It feels like a lifetime, but it's only 10 months into um, the world changing. Mm. Actually, you wanted to talk about, um, staying on that subject, you wanted to talk about whether or not we needed to recruit people to the Southwest still, because or how easy it's going to be, because... Yeah. Yeah, but but the, I think the, the point that Ben's making, which is a really interesting one, isn't it? Which is not that um, that the chat the challenge has changed in in terms of the number of people wanting to attract the skill set we need. And they grown. need the same people. So actually, yeah. the location almost becomes less of an issue compared to the salaries on offer, the career progression yeah. you can offer, the access to bigger markets you can offer. Mm. So actually, it's so presumably it's still going to be more attractive, whatever we might try and say to go and work for a large organization that's expanding its its tech sector rather than moving to Devon or Cornwall or even, I, mean, I suppose Bristol's immune to a, to an extent because it seems so established. Um, so, so you really think that is gonna be that, that, big, that big an issue? And are you seeing that trend already then that some of these large companies are, are moving yeah. into the space that we might normally occupy? So we see, lots of corporates who are scaling up what they're doing and you know they've all been on that sort of digital transformation journey for a while now but lots of them are accelerating what they're doing a lot and it's get all the balance of things that we would have talked about pre-covid has changed so um there are a lot of people now who would want to work for slightly larger maybe a little more staid organizations but are secure because everything else is much less secure. So before you might have been interested in working in a startup or a scale up because it was interesting and there was a bit of risk mm. in that and you were working on more interesting projects. Whereas now everything else in your life is more interesting and there's a lot more risk. So you, you want yeah. less risk in your work life. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's very interesting. So, so the, so the 20% of, um, of respondents said that economic conditions were a concern to them this year, which, but it may be from what you were saying early on that it balances out so that some companies will be concerned about global and regional economics and some and some won't be. So you think it really does depend in which, in which sector you're in as to whether or not you're looking um, fearfully at, at the global economy. 
Yeah, and I, you know, there's a whole set of things wrapped up in that, aren't there? So there's there's systemic changes that have happened because of COVID. So if you were in the property sector or reliant on the aerospace sector, you might be much more worried. But there's also Brexit has a huge part to play in what's happening. Global economies, the speed at which they're changing is unprecedented. So glass half full, glass half empty thing of some people are seeing opportunity in all this. Some people are seeing that there's a worry in it. And I think quite a lot of people, especially small business owners, because of the support that's come through things like furlough, there's more press out saying that the likelihood is furlough will be continued until autumn. So to some degree, some of those things we're still shielded from. And if you know all those things fell away, I think that would suddenly go up in people's agendas of what to worry about. I wonder actually if we could go back to recruitment because I I would like to talk about diversity and how, you know, looking at the survey, it seems to have fallen off the agenda a little bit. And even though this time probably seems an opportune time to to grow in a diverse workspace, yet it doesn't seem to have been the case uh, within lockdown. And actually, companies seem to have put it on the back burner. And I wonder if there's like a, some sort of solution to that, because it'd be lovely, even for this podcast, to have people to talk to that minorities on or, or more women on. Um, and that doesn't seem to always be the case. And how can we get those people into tech, especially here in the Southwest? You're right. And diversity is a huge topic within tech. Um, I ran a roundtable last week um, around as part of our run up to International Women's Day. And uh, one of the participants there, Zara from Gap Square, who you may have come oh, across. Oh, Zara Nanu. Yeah, yeah so Zara, Zara's awesome. And she was saying, in the last four years, through all the conversations and focus that we've had um, nationally around, particularly around girls looking at STEM, the amount of difference that's made is 0.25% a year. So in the last four years, the amount of women going into STEM subjects has only increased by 1%, which is you know, decades and decades and decades away from it having any impact. And what that means is what we need is systemic change. And I think diversity, particularly diversity in small businesses, has taken a huge hit during this crisis because there's undoubtedly lots of people who had focused on it and had it as an area that they wanted to make a change about. And as they've gone into crisis mode, that's fallen off their agenda. And it also says something about where we prioritise diversity and inclusion. It does fall off the agenda when there's a crisis because Mm -hmm. the lack of diverse voices across tech, and I don't mean just gender, I mean right across protected characteristics of ethnicity and class and ableness is a crisis it's a crisis where you know we're already seeing in terms of things like algorithms coming out through machine learning that are going to exacerbate this problem even more well and one of the things that did come out of the conversation last week it's really something that interests me in terms of tech southwest is there are enormous numbers of initiatives and programs that are looking at this i think there's probably huge amounts of it that crosses over and that further confuses the issue for lots of people 
and the better we can do to link those up and make sure that we're not duplicating effort would make a big difference. But ultimately, nearly all of those programmes are very under-resourced and that, that comes back to it being a national government problem, really. So we definitely need more money from government into these sectors, especially, I think, in grassroots areas, you know, things like what tech girls are doing, trying to encourage girls from a very young age, because I think things like gaming and and coding are still seen, even now with all the encouragement in the sector, as uh, boy areas. And I think that's quite unhealthy if we want to encourage diversity in the sector. There's absolutely a case for role modelling from... um school age and from primary school age by the time you have a conversation with someone when they're 16 the likelihood is they're already set on a career path whether they know that or not um we did a program a couple of years ago with as part of a wider program we're doing with a lady in bristol called joyanne um so joy does lots of us at TechSpark, and one of the things we did was we created a set of tech focused um stock photography that was focused on people of colour. And it's because Joy had come to us as part of a programme she was working on and said, I was looking for stock photography of people typing and people doing tech things, and it's all white people. Mm. Um, So we created this set of stock photography, which is free for anyone to use. And there's so many of those things that, you know, there's a level of privilege in what I do in that as a middle-class white man, I just... I don't even notice because mm. you don't you don't see that when you're being other people are being excluded because obviously I'm never yeah. excluded because I'm a white man. Yeah. And that's interesting that you said that because so you know Robert and I married and actually about six years ago, seven years ago, I remember having a discussion with him about racism in in England and he was completely like as if no, there isn't. I think you're completely wrong. And I was like, well, how on earth would you even know? Because you're just a white guy who walks around and everyone just thinks you're fine. Whereas now he's starting to notice that actually it's systemic and it's almost... It's almost like this level of ignorance where people don't even know how biased they're being. It's absolutely ridiculous. You know, there's really interesting things in terms of language and... um setting salary expectations and things like that that will make a difference particularly to women applying for jobs so there's um i think it's called the gender decoder that you can put a job description in and it will um tell you whether your language is likely to more attract men or women applicants and that's a free program there's also really interesting research that shows women are much less likely to apply for a job if you advertise the salary is just competitive. Um, oh. Which is a really weird... They need to know. Yeah. And, like, as a business, nobody as a business puts a job out without an idea of what salary you want to pay. You know exactly what the scope of the salary you're willing to pay is. So there's yeah. no reason yeah. why you couldn't put that out there. You're listening to the Tribe Tech Podcast. I find it really interesting talking to Ben because he mentioned that sustainability was something that was so high on the agenda that the tech sector almost doesn't even see it as something to think about. It's just part of life. But then at the same time, I mean, what we found in the survey is that diversity seems to have fallen off the agenda almost. And um, But then we obviously are going to speak to Andy Doyle and he's 
telling us that actually diversity hasn't fallen off the agenda. It's um, definitely going to be very much part of the agenda. So Andy Doyle is the co-founder of Filmly, which is a fan engagement platform, and they've had huge success as Sports Stadia have shut, but teams obviously still need to connect with their supporters. Yeah, we've seen uh, Stadia, haven't we, uh, around the world with uh, with the fans apparently um, interacting live mm-hmm. on, on big screens, and this was particularly evident uh, at the US Open Tennis, uh, which they were part of this year, um, and Andy also took part in the Tech Southwest survey. Sustainability is still the, the forefront of everyone's mind, to be honest, especially in tech. Um, I think the reason that it's not so high up on the list is simply because it's, as you said, it's become more normal and it's just sounds awful, but it's a bit less interesting now. And I also think during the lockdown period of the last 12 months, it's been less at the forefront of people's mind because we're all more sustainable because we haven't been traveling. We haven't been going out. We haven't been shopping, um, you know, in high streets. So I think naturally everything's calmed down anyway. So, people look for the more interesting things don't they Andy it's Robert hello oh, obviously yeah. your your business has um, done extremely well over the past uh, few months and so do you think that when we're looking at how people view tech we've often said isn't it that the the word is just too broad to really explain some of the granularity of 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 the sector and obviously some some people have done um particularly uh well over the past year so in terms of when you look at that confidence for the next year and how people are how concerned people Mm -hmm. may be about the um, economic conditions some of it actually might seem to kind of fly in the face a little bit of what of what might think would be the normal Um, but clearly you've you've done quite well what do you think it is about your company's position within the market which has allowed you to have such a good few months and can anybody else learn do you think from what you've been able to do um well i'm not sure people can learn but um i think you know in march last year if you think filmily is predominantly an events-based business and all events around the world were closed including sport music weddings which are three main sort of vertical markets so it was a bit of a panic um i think for us because we're not a big corporate we could pivot really quickly and so we spent a lot of time reaching out and understanding what what we what the requirement would be for the next well we didn't know how long 12 months 18 months from last month last march um so we quickly came up to some conclusions and we managed to we managed to basically probably do six months work in two months to to tweak our solution to work in the new world and it actually it sounds awful but i think the pandemic and the lockdown in a way benefited us um because we're, we're all about audience and fan engagement. And when audiences aren't going to stadiums and buying tickets, suddenly the fan engagement piece or the audience engagement mm. piece becomes much more relevant because all of the big brands and the clubs and the hotels and the wedding venues were all like, how do we, how do we stay relevant when we're not having people in our stadium? So it's actually, in that way, it's done us a favour. I think in terms to answer the question on how what can we learn from it? I think, you know, we thought before March what we were doing was amazing. And and it was, it was amazing, but you can't you can't sit on that. You've also always got to look back and question what you're doing and just say, is it still relevant? Is it still amazing? Is there someone doing something better? 
have we got it slightly wrong? There's a million reasons why what you think is amazing is less amazing later. And I think people do need to think about that, especially when you're small enough to do those pivots and the twists and turns, rather than being, nope, I'm building X and that's what I'm going to build no matter what anyone says. So I know, I know, I know you've, you've spoken, haven't you, about making sure that it is actually what the customer wants and start with the customer and work backwards. Can, can you tell us a bit about um, <laughs> the work you did with uh, the San Francisco 49ers, for example, and how you, how you, made, how you made that work and, and, and saw that opportunity? So that was, um, so back again, to go back to March, when we sort of looked at what the world potentially was going to be like with, you know, nobody going to stadiums. I mean, let's focus on sport there because that's the subject there. Um, we reached out and we had conversations with a really great US um, sports agency called Wasserman. Um, huge, you know, great company. They've got offices in London, Asia, US. Um, and... We spoke to them and they came out to us with a solution which added their services onto what we do. And that was our big pivot moment, really, where we sort of thought, actually, we can help the stadiums and the teams and the fans be part of the whole experience. So and then, you know, two NFL teams came through through the through the association with Wasserman and the US tennis in New York um, last August. And basically what it was, it was you know, creativity, it was like, how can, A, we put stuff on screens to make things look interesting. We've all seen various examples of it, right? You know, the the big Zoom calls or Microsoft Teams calls on screens, you know, around stadiums. Um, a lot of these have massive overheads. What we did was a lot more curated and a lot more sort of niche. Um, we could create fans based on where they are, which team they support, the content is always relevant because it was recorded maybe in 10 minutes before the game. And so we did all that. But also, I think, um, you know, the 49ers was a great one because they wanted every fan to have their own video to share and push out on social. So we created this sort of great feature of what we call in curated stories where there's sort of content from the brand mixed in with the user's content in a really structured and defined way. And we can produce you know, tens of thousands of those clips a day if we need to, you know, for each and every fan who uploads stuff. So that was the um, that was the big moment for us when it, we actually finally worked out how to send every fan a, a clip. How, <laughs> how did you actually, um, yeah, how did you manage to curate that much content? I mean, was that um, done via tech or was that a manual situation? Um, so, I mean, so that one, that's the, the San Francisco one. We sorry miss a missed thing we haven't got to that level with them yet we're still we're still with them um the big one we did was the tennis in new york in, in august so in the 14 days of the you know the us tennis tournament um, we received 36000 clips from 60% of the countries in the world um and we analyzed every each and every one of them and you know put it into our database and then Every so, and then there was a certain type of clip of a fan sent it in. They got, got their own personalised clip back, and we generated nine thousand clips in fourteen days. Um, you know, from a tech perspective, that's a real achievement. That was our first sort of larger scale thing we did. Um, to answer your question, though, it's yeah, it's no, it's not manual at all. You set up a template and a structure, and you know, it's pretty complex because someone might record three seconds and then might record five seconds. Mm. Um, there's lots of, you know, someone might do something untoward. Um, 
so uh let's be honest people are people right um so yeah it's all done using ai and an infinitely scalable back-end system or servers generating themselves and killing themselves off when they're not needed it's amazing you know, right? thousands mm. of servers yeah fantastic. It, it makes my eyes water when i think of it so a lot a lot of the lot of the trends we we've seen and this this is reflected in the survey and if you take that as as, as an example there um there's been an acceleration isn't there of where businesses might consider themselves being in in two to five years time and they've been they've been forced into into making these decisions and making these leaps uh, sooner rather yeah. than later, and this is reflected negatively, isn't it? As well as positively, as, as we're seeing around retail and seeing and seeing with the high street. What what do you think is um, across across the whole sector has been has been brought forward and accelerated over the over the past twelve months and made people make decisions which they may have been putting off. Um, so that's an interesting one because, I mean. You know, we own three other businesses and um, one of our businesses, e-commerce, uh, we run online shops for a variety of brands. Um, and without going into individual brands, numbers of sales, but the average is between 60 and 100%, 100% up on last year. So one of our clients who used to do sort of roughly about a million in sales a month, they're doing, they're, they're the best. They're pretty much doing that a week now. Um, so I think the big and you, we can't sort of compare online retail and the current situation with other types of tech. Back to your question, tech is a very generic, generic work. So I think for the retail industry, I think there's going to be serious questions of the validity of um, shops in the high street, which, you know, some people say is a shame. Other people say it might be good because they need more cafes and things to do. Um, we don't know about that. Um, so I think for retail, I think, pushing more online and people getting used to just bringing stuff in and having returns you think of the whole food chain for that you know of delivery drivers packaging and stuff you know um, and also sustainable back to that um you know there's a whole industry out there growing and growing because of the increase in online sales in terms of other tech i mean i think a lot of other sort of more tech companies you know like filmily i think you know it definitely slowed us down last year but i think that slowing down is actually was actually a good thing. I think the whole the whole world's slowing down. Everyone not just reacting and running around like mice in a cage, I think it's helped. And for us, it's really made us think more about what we're doing and the product and actually defining it much better than the, we're amazing and we're going to make millions of quid. It's like, um, so I think for a lot of people, it's slowed down what they were going to do and, and stuff. But I actually, think when they come out the other side, if they come out the other side, it'd be better. Yeah. Well, one of the things that we found in the tech survey was that the companies that were interviewed, sorry, um, that took the survey said that actually 2020 was pretty good for them and they were very optimistic about 2021. Um, but despite all of that, um, the diversity seemed to have been put on the back burner um, because of the lockdown, possibly. I mean, do you know why that could be? I think lots of things like diversity has been on the back burner. You don't, you know, you don't hear hardly anything about climate change compared to what we used to in 2019. Um, I think it's a temporary thing. I think, the, you know, if you're sat at home working and you've got your children at home and you're homeschooling, diversity, you're not seeing anyone. <laughs> so 
um, you know, and the climate change. You're not out there using your mm. car. You're not getting on mm. planes or trains. I think, I think just naturally everybody's just hunkered down and just folk and looks more within and at their own structure and their own families and their own jobs and businesses. And that's okay for a while. Obviously, it's not a long-term thing. But I do think, you know, 2022 or later this year when we all start coming out of what feels like a long hibernation, I think... Mm. I think that'll all come back. And I think the survey would reflect that in 12 months time. Yeah. Um, I just think it's been a natural thing. You know, a lot yeah. of people scared, a lot of people, men, you know, struggling with mental health, you know. Mm. Do you just, think that well-being has become... Uh, yeah right so so, so do you do you think that well-being has become more important because I've noticed that you know the on LinkedIn there's so many more people talking about how you know taking a run in the middle of the day is not skiving it's just helping you um, with your mental well-being and and you might even think a little bit more about work uh, while you're out on that run so it's actually quite good for you Um, and then outdoor meetings are becoming a thing and uh and also taking breaks between Zooms. Um, even KitKat had yeah. an advert, which I thought was quite funny. Um, so, yeah, I mean, do you think that that, that because of this, it's pushing well-being out into uh, and, and allowing businesses to understand a bit more about, you know, flexible and agile working? Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, you know, for us in in the group of companies, we... Um, We've had flexible working and a work from home policy. If you want to, we don't count holidays. You know, we say legally, you know, nine till five of the hours, but no one cares if you do eight till four, eight till two, even, you know, whatever. Um, we've had that flexibility for over 10 years and people thought we were mad, but nothing it hasn't done any harm to us at all. Um, and I think we're, for us, we're going to push that even more um, and give, and we're thinking of, we're talking loosely now about the dynamics of a three day weekend. So it's half the company has a Friday off and half has a Monday off. Um, I think from an employer's perspective, I think the big changes are, you're definitely right that there's a lot more trust there. You know, employers who were a bit more, you have to sit at your desk and you can have a break at 10 and then lunch. And then uh, there's a lot more trust there that people will just get on the work if they're allowed because we are actually all grownups. Um, so that trust is, that's a good thing. And I think, but I think on the other side, there was almost this mixing of the people who were in offices every day would sort of, oh, if only I could work from home like other people do. Mm. And the people at home, you know, felt, you know, I think there's going to be a bit more of a, actually, we've been at home for a year and we want to go to an office as well. So I think, uh, you know, I've got, you know, 18 people who, some of, you know, personalities, someone, some are happy at home and sort of like, oh, this is great. And others are like, oh, I can't wait to get back to the office and just mm. see people and work with people. So I think definitely a mixture. I don't, I don't, I think the classic nine till five, Monday to Friday norm is almost dead. I think the big, some of the big corporates are struggle to take it up in any speed, but even councils are taking it up, aren't they? Mm. You know, I know, I know some of the local councils in the Southwest have mm. sort of started saying work from home. So yeah. if they can do it, anyone can. Yeah completely agree actually we've seen it because we work with some councils and we have seen a complete shift in how they're they're working and I always wonder why people find it so or companies find it so difficult to give that time off to their not not time off but you know that sort of flexible working to their employees because we used to live in Dubai and there were six weeks of the year during Ramadan when no one did anything nobody nobody did anything and the the economy there has not floundered in the least so you know (laughs) I think it's okay 
personal. Exactly. I mean, for me, you know, the you know when you look at the research of the four day week, you know, Microsoft did it in, I can't remember somewhere in Asia, and uh, you know, productivity went up by twenty two percent, even mm. though that you know they'd lost twenty percent of the time and things like that. And yeah. and it's, but it's not all even about more productivity. It's just you know, happy people. You know, yeah. for me, I say to the guys, you know. I couldn't care less if you have a dentist appointment or you're just tired or just just take the time you need to do what you need to do in your daily life. Mm. I said, but on the other hand, that we don't give people big hugs and pats on the back because they did two hours extra one night. Oh yeah, I know so. exactly. I hate it. I hate that as well. You're absolutely right. I feel like you know, you know, you you get your job done, whatever it takes. But then you know, if you want to take a yeah. break, then do that as well. But you know, I'm not gonna high five exactly. you for getting I mean, something software. right in your job. Exactly. And in, and in software, you know, there is, and I'm saying this, and I know you're, this is a podcast and I might get lynched later, but, um, you know, if you give if you give developers 10 weeks to do a project, week nine, they'd be up against the wall saying we haven't got enough time. Mm. If you gave them the same similar project in six weeks, you'd get the same. Um, I don't mean, you know, people are lazy or anything. I just mean, you know, there's thousands of ways to do things and, you know, you can always take longer and do things better. Um and that's that's the thing and and i think when people are having a break and you have that little light bulb moment you know if someone's if you've got a three-day weekend and you really do relax and you come in you're probably the work you do will be better first time round. um so the quality should improve i think mm. um i think the hardest bit for stuff like that and flexible working is just managing people still talking to each other in a way i think that's mm. the hardest bit what's been in the last 12 months being fully remote for everyone you know the water cooler moment mm. yes know, those are just things. leaning over someone yeah mm. and i think you, know, uh, you can't sit there with a group skype every day or slack mm. every day or, mm. which 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 is why you know the need to collaborate again also comes through so much in the survey i think people are clearly feeling that that element has been missing so mm. whereas obviously individual companies may have been able to innovate we we, we must i mean you, you you don't know what you haven't innovated obviously because you don't because it hasn't been innovated mm. but there must have been opportunities that have been lost over the past 12 months otherwise we do uh, otherwise we do this all the time um but yeah, clearly, but clearly, you know, clearly it just takes one like, conversation mm. you know when i think filmily came about you know in my head five and a half years ago literally from a quick chat with a mate drinking red wine on the roof of the bbc in regent street um he said something to me and i was like that's just crazy that that doesn't happen mm. and it, it it's not quite that now it's really turned but that was the little seed that i couldn't you know it's like you know i couldn't get out of my head about this thing to do with video and analyzing and understanding it and um yeah it was just you know that was literally you know, semi-drunk conversation you know mm. if, if people aren't together you don't have them do you no but i also think there are okay. opportunities that are being missed on zoom or team calls where um you know you can't always tell when someone's doing well or not doing well so you can kind of hide that on a call whereas you know seeing them in the office day in day out you can tell when someone's not quite right and if they need extra support or just someone to say you know are you okay is everything fine um but yeah you can't really do that on zoom and it it I think that's something exactly. that we're lacking. A Zoom call. And a Zoom call with, you know, more than three or four or five people, you know, even this call, you know, we've chatted slightly over each other a couple of times mm. and that's fine because we're on Zoom. When you get over five people, the quiet ones, they just don't get a look in and they just mm. sit there. 
Mm. Um, and almost people you've worked with for a number of years are suddenly get a little bit nervous about talking to you because there's just a row of faces where if you're in a group those little one-on-one conversations happen don't they mm. I mean I think that'd be a great feature for Zoom where you could tap on a screen and only come out on their screen and they only come out on yours and somehow the microphone directs the sound to the right person I think that's what you need oh you can do breakout rooms on Zoom idea. yeah but that's all really formal isn't it you know everyone's in a separate Zoom call then yeah. what I mean is you know if we had 10 on the screen I tap tap on one person and go hey Joe can I just ask you a quick question? And mm. that voice only comes between ours too. It does the mini one, but keeps you all in the same screen sort mm-hmm. of thing. So you feel like you're not missing out and you can hear the background noise of the rest. Like well, you would if there was in a group. Yeah, right? if you're in an office as well. I've, yeah. just, I've just had an idea for a company called Zoomily, which, <laughs> which, uh, which I'm going to work on as soon as this calls <laughs> finished. I actually, um, there's a great bit of open source software which does exactly sort of similar damn, Zoom, but damn. we integrated it into another website. But, we have that, that feature. What if you get on it quick? Yeah. You're listening to the Tribe Tech Podcast. That was a good chat. I wonder who's going to get to that business first. Well, anybody now, because that's my, uh, that's my next my <laughs> idea, Zoomily. I've already trademarked it. <laughs> uh, before we go, got to mention the Tech Southwest Startup Studio. This is a growth program for early stage startups. Tech Southwest has teamed up with Virtual Accelerator Activate, and the startup advisor Scout Consulting to provide fully funded opportunities for up to 30 pre-seed companies a year to progress their business through the programme and then pitch to regional UK and global investors. Oh, yeah. So Scout Consulting is uh, run by Ben Cooper, who we've had on the programme before. And I mean, he's an angel investor and he's talked about all the businesses that he's put money into to and, and helped succeed and grow. And this is a fantastic opportunity for anyone. So if you've been waiting for the right opportunity to get your startup started, you know, this is it. This is it. Do it now. Applications are open. Go to the Tech Southwest website. Um, so just don't miss out, people. And please subscribe to the podcast so you know when it's out. And so we also get a little bit of kudos uh, and a pat on the back from Spotify, iTunes or whatever platform you may be listening on. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Bye. Bye. A Tech Southwest podcast, Tribe Tech. You can get in touch with us by tweeting Tech SW Official. 